uh, today we're starting a brand new message series uh, that I'm calling Storyteller. So over the next four weeks, we're going to take a closer look at four different parables that Jesus taught in the New Testament. And depending on how you classify what a parable is, um, Bible scholars, historians believe that there's anywhere between 30 and 50 parables. Now, that's a big range, all right? But what we've chosen to do is just take four of those that are found in the New Testament Gospels, specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and uh, focus on those four over the next month. Now, I've chosen these four because I believe that the ones that we're going to talk about and learn uh, together do a really good job uh, of representing the other parables that Jesus taught, uh, again, throughout the New Testament as a whole. And church, if we were to take time and study all these parables, we'd be in the same sermon series for like a year. All right, we don't want to do that. So we're going to take uh, just four of them. So if you're here today and you're interested, though, in reading all of the parables, and I would encourage you uh, to do this. This would be a great challenge for our church. Uh, just in the lobby, uh, in, on the desk in front of the office there, I've printed off uh, a sheet that says Parables of Jesus, and that's going to list all the different parables that Jesus taught. Uh, some of them show up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, but those are the parables of Jesus. And here's the challenge for our church, that over the next 30 days, um, we would take time as individuals, um, as families, as a church, uh, to read one or two parables a day, and then at the end of 30 days, we would have read all the parables that Jesus taught. Uh, some of the parables are as short as two verses long. They're, they're not very long, and then some uh, have a little bit more length to them. So let's lay some groundwork together this morning. We'll start here. What is a parable? I'm glad you asked. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> so the simplest definition that I have ever heard came from a pastor that I served with in McAllister, Oklahoma. He was an Ozark graduate, and he's faithfully served the church there for uh, about 35 years. Uh, his name's Cliff House, and he used to always say this to the kids in the chapel service that we had. Uh, we had a Christian school as well of about 300 kids. And he always say this, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story that Jesus would teach that had a, a heavenly meaning or, or a, an eternal meaning for our lives, eternal significance. If we would hear it and apply it, it has a lot of good for our lives. So when people think about Jesus teaching in parables, what I've found when I have these conversations is that there's often a misunderstanding uh, for why Jesus chose to teach in parables and who those parables were for. For example, uh, many people believe that Jesus chose to teach in parables so that the truths that he was trying to get across um, would be easier to understand for everybody that was listening. This is a common misconception about parables. Um, his reason was really kind of quite the opposite. If we look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, and we'll have the words on the screen this morning. Uh, his disciples had this same question. Jesus, what's a parable? Uh, so they asked him, uh, when his disciples came to him and asked, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? Here's Jesus' response. He replied, you are, are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That is why I use these parables, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen. Or understand. So we know from Jesus' words, he made it very clear that not everybody who, who sits and listens to the parables that Jesus teaches uh, will be able to understand them. 
He chose to speak in parables so that people who were truly seeking a relationship with Jesus would understand the truths that, that he was teaching. And they would be encouraged to live them out in their own lives. So now that we, we have a foundation for what a parable is, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 15. If you have your physical Bible, that's great. Um, if you don't, we'll have the words on the screen for you this morning. Uh, and last week we talked about there's a Bible app um, that's for your smartphone. So if you have an, uh, an Apple device, an Android device, um, this Bible app is called YouVersion, Y-O-U Version. And if you go to the App Store or the Google Play Store, you can download it. Just type in Bible app. And it's the, the most popular app there is. There's reading plans uh, that you can do throughout the week. There's a verse that they can send you every day, um, you know, as a, just an encouragement in the morning. And uh, we talked about how this Bible app has been downloaded a third of a billion times in our world today. Try to wrap your head around that number. Um, a local church made this app. And through that, God's been able to get his word in the hands of people who otherwise might not have had that opportunity. So uh, it just gives me encouragement. Man, what could this group come up with? What could we do to kind of leave our mark in this community, in this world? I'm, I'm excited about that. So here, here we go. Luke chapter 15. It's a chapter in the Bible that uh, includes three different parables. And every single parable that is talked about was illustrated by Jesus to um, really point to one truth, one specific point. Now, one of the parables in Luke 15 is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture from Genesis um, all the way to Revelation. Uh, for me, it ranks right up there with, with Noah and the ark, with David and Goliath. It, it ranks right up there with Moses and the Ten Commandments. This is a story that if, uh, if you were raised in the church or have been in the church for any period of time, you would have grown up hearing this story. And this parable is the parable of the prodigal son. So this morning, if you've heard this story a hundred times, if you've read this story a hundred times, I want to encourage you to read it with fresh eyes and to hear it with fresh ears this morning because slipped into this parable are truths that if taken seriously and lived out authentically with God's help in our life will enable this church to be the kind of church that is effectively pointing people to Jesus, the kind of church that is living on mission for Christ. So the parable begins in Luke chapter 15, Verse 1, and it's here that we're introduced to the main characters of the story that Jesus is talking about. All right, it's a father and his two sons. We'll start in Luke 15, verse 11 and 12. So to illustrate the point further, remember this parable has to do with Jesus making one specific point. So to, to illustrate that point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So the younger son, when we read, he, he, we know that he wanted more out of life than he currently had. And as I read this, I understand that he was feeling a little bit discontent, maybe a little discouraged with the life that, that he'd been given. His father was an extremely wealthy man. And in those days, it was customary for the for the father to leave an inheritance, to leave the things that he owned, his, his material possessions, the things that he had to his sons as an inheritance. But he would do that when he died. And that's key to this story. I want you to remember that. The time frame is important. So the younger son, he, he didn't want to wait, though, until his dad passed away. He wanted to enjoy life now. All right? He wanted to have the, the benefits of this inheritance now. And he believed 
that, that by personally receiving all of, the, uh, all of his inheritance early, he could make a life for himself exactly the way that he wanted it to be. So his father agrees, and I have no idea why he does this, but he agrees to give his son his inheritance early. And again, don't miss the fact that when his son asks, asks for his inheritance early, he's basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. That's what he was saying, because the father usually wouldn't give the son his inheritance until after he passed away. But regardless of that, the father decides to hand over all of his money, all of his inheritance to his younger son that he would one day have inherited. In fact, verse 12 says that he agreed to divide his wealth between both of his sons. Now, we're going to get to know the older son a little bit more later on. But if I had to guess, the older son, it doesn't tell us what he did with the money, but he was probably the responsible one. Right? He was the one that, that probably uh, saved a little, he probably spent a little, and he probably gave uh, a lot. You know, he, or any combination of that, that that you would choose. But he, he would have been the responsible one, the one that, you know, did everything right. We'll get to know him a little bit more later on. Luke 15, verse 13, we'll pick up right here. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings. He moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his money on wild living. So the younger brother, he, he was the one probably known in the community for throwing all the parties. All right? He was the one that, that brought all the girls. And, and I'm not just making that up. You hear that and you think, wait a minute. But later on in the parable, Jesus says that the younger son actually wasted his money on prostitutes. So he was, he was this guy. And I imagine he was probably pretty popular for a while in his little circle of influence. And that is until his wealth ran out. Right? That's usually how it goes. He received all this wealth only to throw it away on things that, that weren't beneficial. They weren't beneficial for him. They weren't beneficial for the people around him. He wasted his money on experiences and material things that, that are quickly forgotten. You know, I've heard you, you can't take the, the, um, the moving truck with you when you die. You know, that kind of idea. He, he was putting his investment and in the, the, the inheritance that he had into worldly things that he just couldn't take with him when the time came. He wasted it. And before he knew it, the high life that he'd gotten used to, it was gone. Quickly. So Luke 15, verse 14 and 15. We'll continue reading here. It says, About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer uh, to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields uh, to feed the pigs. Now, the NLT version of the Bible that we're reading today says that he persuaded a local farmer. You read this, you can hear the desperation in his voice, because he literally has nothing left. But you, know, you, you and I understand this morning, we understand that pigs aren't the cleanest animals in the world, right? But I'll be the first to admit, I love me some bacon, all right? But to a Jewish person, we actually have fairs in Oklahoma that it's, the whole theme is bacon. It's like, let's wrap whatever we can in bacon. Maybe they have that here. It's like, let's wrap a Twinkie in bacon. I don't know if anything can be that bad for you. I would try it, I think. I would. And then they deep fry it after that. So it's the, the trifecta. <laughs> so to a Jewish person, though, taking care of pigs, this was the ultimate low. When you begin to study the culture and, and the history, it was hitting rock bottom because uh, pigs were considered religiously unclean. They, they were considered so unclean, in fact, that you weren't allowed to touch them, feed them, or clean them. You weren't really allowed to go near them. The younger son, when you, when you understand this and you read this to this point, he has nowhere else to go but up. He's hit rock bottom. 
Luke 15, verses 16 through 19, says this. The young man became so hungry, so hungry. Hear this. I don't know if you've ever been this hungry before. My kids say that they're starving sometimes. I don't, I don't believe them. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one would give him anything. So when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, even at home, the hired servants have food enough to spare. There's food left over at home. He says, and here I am dying of hunger. So I'll go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please just take me on as a a hired servant. So the younger son, he's experiencing something that most people experience at some point or another in their life, whether they want to admit it or not. He messed up, he made some bad choices, and he finally realizes how much the people back home really do care for him, how much they love him. After he'd gone down this road, a road that hurt not only himself, but the people around him, he made up in his mind it was time to go home, hoping. You you can hear it in his voice, just hoping that he would be given an opportunity just to work for a living. We can tell from the words that we read in this passage that he just wanted to be in the company of his family. He just wanted to be in the company of the people who cared about him the most in this world. You know, it, he would have been okay, I believe, with, if all that was offered was an opportunity to serve and work the rest of his life. I don't believe that he was wanting any favors, any handouts, and he certainly wasn't expecting reconciliation for the relationships that were in his life. He, he knew that he, because of his actions and his choices, those were broken. And he thought they were done. But this isn't how the parable ends, and I'm thankful for that. Jesus tells us that even when the younger son was a long way off, I don't know how far off this was. Uh, in my mind, I imagine a, a porch, and his dad's sitting there, and it's a long, straight road, and he can see. Even when he was a long way off, his dad could see him in the distance coming towards him. When you read this, you have to wonder, was the dad waiting? Was he wondering? Was he checking the road every single day? Was he praying for his son every single day? A great truth, a great reminder for us this morning. If you're here today and you've been praying for one of your your children, if you're struggling with a friend or a relative, here's a truth I heard from another pastor this week you're currently praying for someone it's this if it's not God's time you can't force it but if it is God's time you can't stop it if it's not God's time you can't force it but if it is God's time you can't stop it God's delays are not his denials keep waiting keep wondering keep praying keep trusting that God will answer your prayers according to his will. I want to encourage you with that this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 20, we'll continue here. It says, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. He didn't wait for him to come to him. He ran to where he was at. He he ran to him, he, he hugged him, he embraced him, he kissed him. The younger son, I just imagine this picture 
And, and again, I don't know if this is what happened. This is my opinion, but him falling to his knees and just saying, Dad, I've messed up. I've messed up. I, I took everything that you gave me, everything that you taught me, all the lessons, all the life lessons that his dad had poured into him growing up, and I threw it all away. I don't even, I don't even deserve to be here anymore. But I just need a place to eat. I just need a place to work. So what did the father do? I'm glad you asked. He called to the other servants that were hired by the family. He said, I want you to fetch the finest robe that you have. And then he went and found uh, the family ring to put on his, his son's finger. And we know that this was a gesture assuring the younger son's place in the family. This is huge. And then he ordered that preparations be made for a huge party to be thrown in his youngest son's honor. Now, I read this, and, and the humorous side of me is thinking, this younger son must have been partied out by now, all right? That's the last thing that he wants. But that's what his dad said has to happen. He had to have been speechless when he heard this. I mean, he must have been so overwhelmed that he didn't even know how to respond. This wasn't what he expected. It's not what he thought that he deserved. You know, he expected a completely different reaction from his dad and the people around him. But what he received was unconditional love and grace. Now, the scripture is silent on this. Um, this is something I heard about seven years ago. I'm, I was trying to think back to the exact moment that I heard this. I believe I was sitting with a small group in a living room when I heard this. And uh, this, is, this is what I heard. And it has stuck with me ever since that I don't think the prodigal son ran away only once. The scripture's silent on this, but think about this. Church, all across the room this morning, have any of us ever done a particular sin only once? Maybe. Maybe you have, but I would say no in general. And I'm willing to bet that the dad had a shed full of welcome home signs. I mean, what a great picture of God's love and his grace for us this morning. Amen. So as the parable continues, we see how this older brother reacts. Remember, we got a little glimpse into his story, and now we get to see how he reacts. And my wife reminded me this week, I said, I want you to read this, and I want you to throw out just two or three thoughts that you have. I like to talk about my messages with her and, 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 and pray together and just see her thoughts. And she said, you know what's really cool is I'm glad that, that Jesus chose to include the older son, because here's a guy that had his life together. He did everything right. He was the straight-A student. And he did everything that his dad said to do, and he did it the right way. And, and how we see him respond is probably more in line with what the younger son thought that people should, how, how people should have responded. But what we learn is that even if you do everything right on the outside, um, nobody's perfect except for Christ. He had his own struggles. He had his own things that he was dealing with. We just don't get an insight into that until, until here. We get a little bit, a pretty big picture into his character. So Luke 15, verses 28 through 30, it says, The older brother, he was angry. Right? He was angry. He wouldn't even go into the party. His father came out. Again, this is the father coming to meet the son where he was at. I didn't think about that this week until just now. <laughs> How cool is that? The father comes out to where his son is, and, and he begged him, but he replied, all of these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me a, a young goat for a feast with my friends. 
But when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So as the, as the father is hearing this, as he's hearing his son just kind of lay it all out there, how do you think he responds? I mean, if, if I had my opinion, if this were a test and I hadn't heard the story before, and I had to write down my response and how I think that the father should respond, I, w- I would say that he probably said, you know, son, you're right. You're exactly right. You've been the one that has been there the entire time. You've done everything that I've asked. You're the one that's going to carry on the family business. I don't have to worry a day uh, about you. But again, what he says is the opposite. And that's often what we find with Jesus. He lived differently than the world would live. He taught differently than the world would expect. Here's what he says in verse 32. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything that I have is yours. He's not denying any of that. But we had to celebrate. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. Most people, you know, they read this parable and they think, what a great picture of God's love and his grace. What what a great picture of God's heart for us. And that's not wrong. You You know, I believe when we read this story, we can look at it from the father's perspective We can look at it from the younger son's perspective and and the older son's perspective. And there's a lot to learn from that. But that's not the main reason that Jesus taught this parable. In fact, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of, of Luke 15. The verses that we read at the beginning of our time together today to see who Jesus was talking to. And why he chose to teach in this parable. It's, it's understanding the context before the content. Except today we're doing the content and then going back to the context. So Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. We go all the way back to the beginning. It says, tax collectors, other no- notorious sinners, they often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. You see, the Jesus told three parables, one right after another, was to show the Pharisees why he was reaching out to these kinds of of people. You know, uh, uh, tax collectors and and sinners, we think tax collector today, and we think our local guy at H&R Block. (laughs) That's not the way they were viewed in in their society back then. So I've heard a lot of, I've read a lot of commentary, heard sermons. I've heard people try to describe how their society would have viewed a tax collector in their time. And, and this is the best illustration that I've heard. All right? It would be the same as your high school student. Anyone have a high school student age in here? Anybody? Anyone have a middle school age student? Okay. Well, this will hit home with you. This would be the same as someone's high school student selling drugs to your middle school student behind the local convenience store. That's how they would have viewed tax collectors in their time. They took money from their own people. They gave it to a cause that was not worthy of of being a cause. And here Jesus is spending time with these people. Here he is hanging out with them. Again, last week we talked about how Jesus is is called friend of sinners. Jesus told these, these parables to help the Pharisees understand that even the people that they considered unworthy, unholy, and unlovable were the people that Jesus welcomed into his presence Because they mattered to him. 
And then Jesus told the parable that we just heard, the parable of the prodigal son. And God's word introduces the parable this way in verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. The point that Jesus was trying to make in all three parables, and I encourage you to go read the two that are before this, concerns how we respond to people who are lost. That includes people who have never had a relationship with Jesus. That includes people who have chosen to walk away from a relationship with Christ. And then people who are just in a difficult time in their faith journey. We all have people like that in our lives. Maybe that's you today. You're struggling. You don't really know where to turn. Jesus is the first one that, that opens his arms up and he's willing to welcome you back. He's willing to meet you where you're at. The point is this, we serve a God who is pursuing all people, calling them to come back home, back where they belong, not alienate them, isolate them, or exclude them. God wants to know them. And it really is an amazing picture that's painted up for us through the life of this, this father in the parable that we just read today. I want to challenge all of us today, myself included, to love people in the same way that the father in this parable loves his son, both of his sons. To to love not only the people who walk through these doors, but the people that are in our circle of influence every day, day in and day out. The, the the, the, The loving father, he wasn't just concerned about who was already in the house. Every single day he was he was wondering, he was praying, he was hoping. God would bring the one that wasn't there home. He didn't just write off the younger son who left to make his own life and completely, he ended up completely messing things up, throwing away everything that his dad taught him, everything that his father gave him. He didn't say, you know what, he'll, just, he'll get what he deserves. That's his fault. His, he made his own bed. He can lie in it. He didn't just say, I have another good son that's here. I'm okay with that. Instead, every day he thought about who wasn't there. So here's my challenge for the church this morning. Here's my charge for the church today. It's simple to hear, but it's harder to live out. Let's be a church that loves people regardless of their past, regardless of their present. Let's begin praying more consistently for people in our own community to respond to the good news of the gospel and to come home. I believe that God desires for his church to have a heart after his own heart. And if we don't have a heart like that, let's begin praying for that heart. There are things in ministry, I mean, you, you look at everything from birth through, through older people and everything in between and, and missions and you know whatever ministry is for you. There are aspects of ministry that over time I just don't like. And I've had to pray that God would give me the same heart about those areas of ministry that he has. If that's you this morning and you've been bitter about that, you you don't want to see people that look different or talk different or whatever the case may be, be a part of this church. Begin praying that God would give you his heart for the matter. Begin praying for people to respond to the good news and come home. And it all comes back to this, how we choose to love God and how we choose to love others will determine what kind of church we really are.
Let's follow the example of Jesus today. Now, this is a rhetorical question, and this is what we're going to end with. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you do, this next verse that we're going to close with is your story. At one point, you've been the prodigal son or daughter, and God has waited for you to come home. This is our story. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's our, that's our story this morning. Amen.